We are going to talk about something um, um, kind of foundational today, stuff that if you've been around the church for any length of time, you're probably like, all right, I got this, Pastor Thomas, old hat. But um, no worries. Uh, just so you know, I'm actually sharing this message, and I didn't share this with anybody else, um, actually out of direction that I feel from the Lord. I feel like the Lord wants to shift some stuff and adjust some stuff in our own hearts, myself included. So we're, um, I'm, I'm ready for the ride he's got us on. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to start things off in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. And as a little bit of a backdrop, we're picking up the story of Jesus' arrest. Jesus had been arrested. Uh, Peter has denied him already. And now Jesus is um, in front of Pilate. And Pilate is going to question Jesus. There's going to be some um, kind of going back and forth. Um, I appreciate you standing. We just love to stand to honor the reading of God's word. So um, verse 33 says this. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? I thought that's kind of funny. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason that I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this he went out again to the Jews gathered, and he said to them, I find no basis for a charge against him. Lord, I thank you for the reading of your word. I pray that as we unpack today a discussion about truth, God, that you would um, be with us, that you would help me declare your truth well, and you'd help our hearts to receive it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So what I want to spend a few minutes talking about today is Pilate's question. What is truth? And some people think that, you know, he might have been sarcastic. Um, maybe. I think you could read that and say, yeah, he might have been being sarcastic a little bit. Other people think he was asking an honest question. I think, just so you know, it doesn't matter. I think the question's good either way. Uh, the Greek word that he used for truth, I'm probably saying it wrong, is aletheia. And, of course, it means truth. True, truly. Um, the dictionary, the, uh, you know, concordance defines it as a true principle of belief or a foundational uh, especially one of foundational importance. In Vine's expository dictionary, I like it because it kind of brings out some meaning a little bit sometimes and helps us gr grasp what we're looking at. It actually says that uh, when he asks what is truth, that word truth means it's the reality that's lying at the basis of an appearance, which you're thinking, well, I like the word truth better, Pastor Tom. That second definition is rather complicated. But it's simply this. Let me give you an example. You guys like Chinese food? I like Chinese food. Um, and at the end of Chinese food, we all get fortune cookies. Do you know fortune cookies were invented in Japan to market to Americans? <laughs> and if you go to China, they consider them American. <laughs> so the appearance is that these fortune cookies are Chinese, but the, the reality is, the truth is, they're not at all. They're a marketing ploy from the Japanese. And they've done well because we all think they're Chinese. Um, and that's what truth is. It's, the, it's the, the reality that lies at the basis of an appearance. And in, as we walk through life, we're all presented with um, things to look at. In the political world, in our family situation, in our social work, network at work. And, and there's always an appearance, but what truth is, is it's the reality behind the appearance. Because sometimes we can be misled by the appearance. 
But the question that Pilate asks, what is truth, I believe is being asked in our culture, in our church, all the time, in many different ways. But I think if we kind of roll it back, there's, there's really some basic foundational questions that we all ask, that we all wrestle with, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Here's some of them that demand an answer. What is truth? Who am I? Where am I going? Why am I here? Right? What is truth? Like, what, what's the purpose of all that? If, if we honestly answer some of those questions, and I would propose that the Bible has the answer for those, if we honestly answer those questions, that, shape, that those, those answers would shape our reality. So how does the Bible answer the, the question, what is truth? Well, interestingly enough, Pilate is looking at Jesus and he says, what is truth? Whether, let's just go with that he's being sarcastic, which would be kind of interesting because I feel like that would be a mistake I would make, is ask Jesus what is truth. Because see, in, in John chapter 18, Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? In John chapter 14, so a, few, a little while before, Jesus is with his disciples and he's talking about the, to them about things to come. And he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I think it was Thomas, of course, is like, I don't know the way. And Jesus responds with the answer to Pilate's question. So he answers Pilate's question before even meeting Pilate. And it's in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says to his disciples these words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Pilate's question was actually a little bit off. It's not what is truth, because truth isn't an idea. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. And I think that's, that's the foundational piece. What, what, where, where I want to kind of take us today is, is looking at some foundational pieces, the nature of truth, what is truth, how do we find truth, how is truth revealed. And then from those foundational pieces, we can then walk in culture in any way we need to because we, we're prepared. We don't need to have the answer to every little question because we have answers to the base questions. So Jesus said, I am truth. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now, interestingly enough, he kind of repeats himself in a different way. In the second sentence, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty heavy piece of truth. And what he's saying, he's saying that emphatically, he's denying that there's any other way to the Father except through Jesus. There's no other religion, there's no other higher thought, there's no other pathway, no other philosophy that will get you to the Father except Jesus. And what he's saying is, if you, if you find a way to God that doesn't include Jesus, you've just found a lie. Because Jesus is the truth, he's not a truth, he's the way, he's not a way. And he's the life, he's not part of life, he is the life. Amen. So the word says that Jesus is the truth. It also says this in Psalm 119.89, um, or one, sorry, 119. 160. It's interesting. Zach read out of 119 today, and I have two scriptures out of 119, so there's a lot going on in Psalm 119. But in that psalm, it also says, not only does the scripture identify Jesus as truth, it says these words. It says, the word, your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. The, 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 the scriptures actually give us two things, that Jesus is the truth and the word is the truth. The entirety of the word is truth, which is interesting because in the Gospel of John, when that opens up in chapter 1, Jesus puts those two things together. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So now it's talking about Jesus. And in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his, his dwelling, his dwelling. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the gospel tells us that the word and Jesus are the same. Jesus is the word, the word is Jesus, amen? 
So when we ask the question, what is truth? The answer to that question is, well, truth is the word. The living incarnate word is Jesus Christ himself. And that's our foundation for all of truth. So the three questions I want, or three things I want to do is I want to talk about three pieces that are nature, uh, how do I say this? That are the nature of truth. It's not the totality of what truth is, but three things that will help us identify truth as we go through life. There's more to it. This is kind of like a college level 101 class. You know those intro ones? This is the intro to the intro. The nature of truth, the nature of Jesus. The first thing, if you have your notes, it says that truth does not change. And over this past year, if you're like me and you've kept, you've touched base with um, social media and all the craziness that's going on, this is a really interesting one because one of the things that drives me bonkers is this phrase, my truth and your truth. I'm sorry if that upsets you that I said that, but that's just not true. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth. There is only the truth. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ, who is the truth, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There can't be a truth that changes because Jesus doesn't change. Amen. So if if I if I'm leaning into a truth that's changing, or you have your own version of that truth, one of us is believing, or possibly both of us is believing a lie because the truth doesn't change. And in our culture, with my truth and your truth, it's being championed by. A talk show host, and I'll say Oprah didn't invent this. I, I tracked it back all the way to um, the ancient Greeks. There were philo- uh, philosophers named the Sophists who believed in a relative truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. They preached, or not they didn't preach, but they, they taught a relative truth. My truth, your truth, it just, just, just depends. We do this too. Pastor Justin alluded to it last week. It's when we make a Jesus in our own image. And we do that. Let's be honest. I've done that before. Guilty as charged, so don't think I'm talking about you. I'm talking about myself. And how do we know when we do that? We make a Jesus in our own image when my Jesus allows me to sin, and that's okay. Because Jesus doesn't allow that. Jesus has, makes no room for sin because he died for sin. If, if in your theology you have room in your theology to sin, and that's okay with Jesus, you've created a Jesus in your own image. If in your theology you've, cre- you, you've left room for you to hate your brother, You've created a, a, a Jesus in your own image. If, if in your theology you've, you've, you've created a space that allows you to be, um, I don't know, vicious and hateful and all the things that just aren't about Jesus, then you, we're creating a Jesus in our own image. It becomes a my truth and a your truth instead of his truth because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know if this helps anybody. It helped me in thinking through some stuff, but I know sometimes... Like, what's the outworking? If my heart is anchored in truth, I always think in terms of trees and roots and fruits, so sorry if that's not you. Could be because we're doing planting in my house. I don't know. But if my heart is anchored in truth, the fruit of that tree is going to be peace. It is going to be um, feeling content, right? If my heart is not anchored in truth, but it's anchored in a relative truth, it's anchored in something that's a my truth and a your truth, and it changes I would like to propose to you that breeds things like anxiety. It breeds things like uncertainty because there's no, there's no actual foundation. There's nothing there that's going to hold us true when the times get crazy. And we're, we're there, amen? So the first thing is truth does not change. Number two, truth makes people free. Amen? Truth makes people free. I want to talk, so a lot of this, so just so you know the background, um, obviously, this is stuff that I've been kind of processing through in my own heart over the past 10 months. 
And over the past two months, I felt like the Lord has kind of highlighted to me that it's good for all of us to kind of readjust our heart in some areas. Because not, not, if you've been around the church for any length of time, none of this is really new. But it is helpful to get the word in us and get it get realigned to what the Lord has for us. Amen? And so the truth makes us free is not a new thought. However, over this past year, if you've had any social media, if you've watched any news, you know there's things like um, fake news. That's an interesting concept. Uh, there's things like truthers or uh, conspiracy theories. Come on, that's a fun one. Let's dig into that, shall we? Anybody ever heard of a conspiracy theory this last year? Just one. Do you know that the Bible actually discusses conspiracy theories verbatim? In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, it says this. It says, Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. And this is the good part. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear, and he is the one you are to dread. And I wondered why the Lord put those two things together. Why did he say, don't believe in conspiracies, but you're to, he says, but you're to um, regard me as holy. And last night, the Lord just totally blew it open my heart. He said, because the definition of holy means to set apart. And when I take anything, anything, it, could be, it doesn't have to be conspiracy theory, but that just works really well for this. When I take a conspiracy theory and I give that thing ultimate place in my heart, I have made it holy. I have taken the Lord off the throne of my heart and I've given all my attention to whatever this thing is that's generating fear. And the Lord says, don't make that holy, make me holy. Don't separate that to a special place in your heart. Separate me to a special place in your heart. Amen? And in, in our day and age, there's so much craziness. And, and I'm not against, this message isn't about conspiracy theories. It's just the idea that um, wobbly truth like that generates things like hatred and fear in our lives. And if there's anything that our culture is filled with right now, it's hatred and fear. And I want to say that the truth will set us free from hatred and fear. The truth will draw a line in the sand and deliver us from that demonic stuff. This is an interesting, this is an interesting piece. This is an article I um, picked up um, from the Harvard Business Review. Um, and I'll, I'll let you know when it was written in a minute. But this is what it says. And just so you know, this isn't specific. You might think, well, he's talking about COVID. I'm not, it's not talking about COVID. The news media and the government are entwined in a vicious cycle of mutual manipulation, myth-making, and self-interest. Journalists need crisis to dramatize news, and the government officials need to appear to be responding to crisis. Too often, the crisis are not really crisis, but they're joint fabrications, and the two institutions have become so ensnared in a symbiotic web of lies that the news media are unable to tell the public what is true, and the government is unable to govern effectively. The news media and the government have created a charade that serves their own interests but misleads the public. Anybody else think that might apply to some degree in the last year? That was written in 1995. Which blows my mind. 1995. But we've lived under an umbrella of this fear and this hatred of we, we find enemies in everybody. The truth sets us free. In the scripture, it's a John 8, 31 and 32. It's, it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said these words. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. In that context, what he's actually saying is he's talking about sin. He says that the truth will actually set you free from a prison of sin. Do you know that's, that, that, is a, that is the key nature of truth, is it sets us free from not only sin, but also the effects of sin. 
It sets us free from unforgiveness. It sets, sets us free from self-righteousness and self-hatred. And it sets us free from the prison we create ourselves in when we get into a life of sin. If we will believe the truth, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you know the truth, if you obey the truth, know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's what the scripture says. Now, as a side note, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that Christians are lawless. That's not the type of freedom he's setting us free to. It's not, not a freedom to be lawless and have no restraint. Actually, the freedom he gives us is a freedom to live right before God. Because without the freedom that Jesus gives us, I have no, I have no power to live right. It's called grace. I have no power to live right before God. But there's a freedom that comes through the truth when the grace of God comes upon a life where you're now free to live right before God. That's good news. And the third thing is, truth is revealed in Scripture by the Spirit. Truth is revealed in Scripture by the Spirit. And I'm talking kind of about things that we've all experienced over the last year. I'm, I might be the only one that has experienced this, but I want to preface it so everybody knows that um, this isn't a joke. I use this term all the time. I love the Holy Spirit's work in our midst so much that an honest truth is I'm okay with a little wildfire because I'd rather wildfire than no fire at all. And I mean that. I, wa I want the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. I want to see people continue to get delivered and set free and saved and come to the... One of my favorite memories in all of life is this lady weeping on this, a, a gentleman I know's shoulders, just weeping because she recognized that God actually forgave her. It was just stunning to me. The, the, when, she, when she met the forgiveness of Jesus, it, I watched the miracle unfold. I love that stuff. But over the last year, there's been one or two people who have put, um, I'll just throw in that, that's a little bit of sarcasm, sorry, um, a little bit too much emphasis on people. And what I mean by that is prophetic words. Just like we've had conspiracy theories outside the church, we've had somewhat of a conspiracy theories inside the church, we just call them prophetic words. I love prophecy. Prophecy has impacted my life huge. I've given prophetic words. Um, but I think as the church, we need to realize that the truth of the matter is, Truth is revealed through Scripture and supported by prophecy. It's not revealed through the prophets. In the same way, truth is actually revealed through Scripture and not the preacher. Right? I just support the truth. And there's a great Scripture. It's out of Acts chapter 17, which I love. And it talks about a group of people called the Bereans. And it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, which is this kind of a backhanded compliment, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Sorry, Thessalonica. Um, for they received the message with great eagerness, and here's the kicker, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. We know Paul's the guy that wrote like half the New Testament. And they're like, we're just going to fact check you, Paul. Give me a second. got to open up the scriptures and make sure what you say. Because I don't believe, I believe the scriptures. But the scriptures highlights the Bereans as, as people of more noble character. They went back to the truth to figure out if what the preacher is telling them is true. And I, I, I hate to have to say this, but I think in our day and age, with, with all the stuff that's coming at us, especially with social media, that's something every one of us has to be responsible to do. Am I taking what I'm hearing and experiencing, and am I filtering in and saying, all right, Lord, let's take it back to your truth. Is it true? And I'm not saying you got to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but as they say, you know, you eat the meat and you spit out the bones. Sometimes you say, oh, that's not that's not helpful. That's not true. We're going to get rid of that. You know? But we need to be people of the truth. Truth originates from the word of God. 
Again, Psalm 119 says this, that the word of God is forever settled in heaven. I love that it says in heaven. I almost feel like it's the Lord saying, but it's not settled in every man's heart. And that's our job. Our job is to get the word of God settled in our heart. Now we're in agreement with heaven and God can do some good stuff. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. The word of God is true. This is also in Psalm 119 from the beginning. Everything in the word is true. And then John 10, 35 has this great connection in case there's any discrepancy. Um, Jesus is, is referencing this very bizarre story. Um, but he connects two things in John 10, 35. I'm not going to read the verse. You can read it for yourself. He connects the word of God with scripture. In case you had any question, is the word of God scripture? He says, yes. He said, as it came by the word of God and scripture cannot be broken. He's, they're, they're one and the same. So what is the word of God? The word of God is Jesus. What is the scripture? The Bible, the Bible is Jesus in written form. Amen? And so when we go back and we want to hold the truth to a high standard, what standard are we using? We're using the Bible. We're going to go back to the Word of God and we're going to say, is it true? Why does it matter today? So I'm kind of harping on all this truth stuff. It's, it's exciting to me because I feel, like, um, I feel like for my own heart in life, it's just a great, great subject right now to talk about. Um, but I also feel like, just so you know, even in our midst of, of, of our church family, not even talking about culture out there, um, there's many people that struggle with what is truth. There's many people that are still trying to figure this thing out, and that's okay. God, the Lord has room for us all, right? But let's just be on the, the path of truth. But here's the truth. If, if truth is relative or simply an opinion, or maybe truth is an experience, if that's the case, then there's no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, then there's no absolute right and there's no absolute wrong. And if there's no absolute right and wrong, then there's no sin. And if there's no sin, then Jesus died in vain. And if Jesus died in vain, then we have no hope. The question Pilate asked, what is truth, is foundational for every believer to get solidified in their heart because it's what everything else is built upon. And that's why Jesus, right before Pilate asked what is truth, he said these awesome words. I love Jesus. He's just amazing. But in verse 37, he says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Talk about a line in the sand. You want to know who's speaking the truth? Those people that listen to Jesus. If you're not listening to Jesus, you may be speaking facts, but you have to be listening to Jesus to be on the side of truth. Choose who you're going to serve today. The side of truth which listens to Jesus or the side of lies that does not. It's your choice. Any idea, any idea that we have of truth that cannot be supported in the person of Jesus as portrayed in Scripture, I want to encourage you to re-examine. If you have an idea of truth and it's wobbly and it's my truth and it's your truth, and you, you're like, but, but, but on this side, Jesus really loves people. Yes, he does. He absolutely does. But that doesn't mean he forfeits righteousness and holiness, and it doesn't mean he winks at sin. Do you know there was a lady that was brought to him in the Gospels that was a caught in the act of adultery, which would be super embarrassing, and all her accusers ended up leaving because of something Jesus did. Jesus looks at the lady, and he says to her, where are all your accusers? He goes, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, go and sin no more. It's grace and it's truth. He looks at her and he says, I'm not going to condemn you, but I want you to know you better not be sinning. And you got you to get free of this stuff. You got to stop that. And I believe that when the word of God, when Jesus speaks into our life something like that, go and sin no more, that the very words are alive and the grace of God comes to us 
And now we can actually walk that out. And that's why when we get in the Word and He begins to speak life into us, things that were impossible a day ago are now possible because the grace of God hit your life. And that's what makes the truth attainable. All right, so some of us um, may be kind of wondering, I don't know, I wondered this as I put the message together. Well, doesn't this give people like, <laughs> Ken said this to me earlier, um, some people like to take the sword of the Spirit and just stab you with it. You know what I mean? You ever been stabbed by people? It's like just, and it doesn't, it just, doesn't that give people license to like get on soapboxes and tell you how terrible you are and how everyone's going to hell and they make no room for anybody except for, and, and I want to submit to you that's not what I'm saying today. You know, I don't want to create a lens where we look through life in a self-righteous condemnation way because here's the truth. In John 1, it says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ, came through Jesus Christ. You know, when I was, um, when I was about 10, uh, my dad, growing up, my, my father worked on the railroad. He worked for um, Conrail and I think Norfolk Southern, if you know railroads, both of those for the majority of all, all my life, I think. Um, when I was about 10, he called my mom. It was summertime, and he says, Carol... Um, there's a train that stopped in downtown Corning. Would Tom like to get on it and go for a ride? Well, come on. What 10-year-old would not want to get on a train and go for a ride? So we drove over there, and um, he, I think he knew the engineer. I don't know all the people or whatever, but I got to sit as a 10-year-old right in the engineer's seat, you know, by that window where they stick their arm out and wave at people as they go by. And I got to drive the train, which was super less exciting than I thought it would be because they just stay on the track. There's nothing, there's nothing to do. I, you know, you can go faster and slower or whatever. But I remember this. As I'm sitting there, there's this big flat uh, pedal on the floor, and the engineer says, well, you have to stand on that. If you don't stand on it, the train stops because it's called the dead man's brake. And what it's meant for is once you get this thing trucking, it takes a lot for it to slow down. And if, if somebody, an engineer, dies in the midst of it, it's just going to keep going. They'll have no way of stopping it. Those things are, you know, bullets. Um, so what they have is they have the brake, you have to stand on it, and if the guy dies while he's driving the train, the thing comes to a stop. Well, that's what I believe that grace is. As we drive this train called truth, we have a brake, and it's a dead man's brake, and it's called grace. We're not actually supposed to minister the truth of Jesus Christ without the grace of Jesus Christ. You and I have been given absolute favor and access to a good God, a good Father, and everywhere we go, we tell them the truth, and we bring them the grace at the same time. And sometimes it gets really messy. I think especially in our day and age, you know, you get into some situations where as a Christian, you're like, oh, I know, but this is wrong. Yeah, it is super is wrong. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to help them without, you know, you ever get there? You're like, I, I just know it's wrong. I don't know what to do with it. I think what God's answer is, he's like, hey, just jump in. You just jump in. You go love them well. You bring the grace of God and the truth and we'll figure it out as we go. Because we live in a messy culture, and I think the church can't be afraid to get messy. But it has to be with both grace and truth. Amen? Sometimes we don't have all the answers, but we point people to those that do. Uh, one of my favorite theologians right now, his name is Dr. Michael Brown. He's a, a Messianic Jew, a, a born-again Jew. And he's just a wonderful man. And he's got this saying, he's like, if it, he said, now more than ever, the church is called to have hearts of compassion and backbones of steel. And I think that really sums it up. So why don't you stand with me as we kind of end things today. I hope it's helped you. Um, you know, we kind of talked about what is truth. I want to encourage all of us 
to get a good handle on the scriptures. Find Jesus. Find out who Jesus is in the scriptures and let that be our foundation. The fullness, of, the Bible says the fullness of the scriptures is truth. You know, so don't, we don't just pick out one piece. We look at the fullness of who Jesus is and that becomes truth. Jesus is fully, fully merciful, right? We look at, we see a merciful Jesus fully throughout the gospels, full of mercy. But make, make no mistake, he's also coming, it says, with his eyes filled with fire. And he's riding on a, on a white horse and his, his robes are actually stained with blood. In the same way that he's fully merciful, he is fully just. And until we get both sides of all these different things together, he's, you know what I'm saying? There, there's always, a, there's always a, the fullness of who he is. Well, the question I, I want to, I said, how do I end this thing? How do I land this plane? And I want to end with this question. What is the effect, outside of the fact that, you know, truth makes us free, what is the effect of truth on a believer? And I think the, the Lord actually gives us some insight to that in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in truth, whoever believes in truth, me, as Scripture has said, there's that Scripture piece again, it says rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's interesting is I've read that it's actually been one of my favorite scriptures. When I worked at the uh, uh, small church in upstate New York, this was a scripture God gave me that was the, the umbrella for my entire ministry. I just felt like he just wanted the rivers of living water to flow out of people. But I never knew what this phrase meant. When At the very beginning, it says, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, that festival he was celebrating was what's called the um, Festival of Booths. And it was celebrating how God... Um, provided for the Israelites as they went from Egypt, I'm sorry, from, yeah, from Egypt to the Promised Land. Forty years of traveling in temporary huts. And so they just celebrate God's faithfulness and, and his provision and getting them from their point of slavery to their point of freedom. Isn't that interesting? From their point of slavery to their point of freedom. But that day, it says the last and greatest day, actually has a name in Hebrew, and it's this. Hoshana Rabbah. I'm probably saying it wrong, so forgive me. But it means this. It means the great Hosanna. What if you're like me, you're like, I don't really know what that means either. So I went to the next one. It means the great save us please. There was a day in this festival that was actually called the great save us please day. Jesus stands up on that day and says, hey, guess what? If you believe on me as the scriptures say, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. I know that it's the heart of many people at New Life Church to flow in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to us that maybe what part of our responsibility in that is to make sure we're believing in Jesus as the scriptures have said. Make sure if we're off course, even a degree, that we get back into the word and let the word of God direct us back to true north, to true Jesus, to true truth, and say, God, I'm willing to change. But what I want is I want the outflow of your Holy Spirit. Anybody with me today? I don't know. I'm going to try something. I, 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 there was a part in the, our worship service, I asked Zach to just kind of sing again, if that's okay. Um, there's a piece that I just feel like is really appropriate to respond. I don't know how to respond sometimes. I'm like, God, what kind of response do you want from us? All I know is sometimes, you know, when you're offered a job, when you're offered a job, you, you get the job description to know what you're signing up for. Unfortunately, that's not the case in the kingdom. You meet the boss, you get overwhelmed with Jesus, and then you just say yes. You sign your name at the bottom of the job description, and he fills in the rest as you go. 
And I feel like that's our call today. If anybody's with me to say, Jesus, I'll just take it. I'll just sign my name to the bottom of the blank job description. and I'll let you fill in whatever it is that you want me to do. I just want to say yes again. And I want to, tr- I want to just declare that you're, you're truth. You're, you're, my, you're my true north. And so I just want to take a minute, if that's okay. And in this song, let each of us have a time of just praying. Is that all right?